0: Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's fizz radio.
1: It's fizz radio on the score 1260. Gil Gross with Ian Unsworth and you. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. Uh, Ian, it's a very special day today. Basketball is back.
2: Yes, it is, Gil, but it's not basketball that most people are used to seeing on TV. It's TBT, the basketball tournament. 24 teams coming at us from Columbus, Ohio, and all the games are going to be on ESPN, so there's no reason for us to miss it.
1: Yeah, so Bayheim's Army plays Tuesday. They'll play the winner of Heartfire versus Men of Mackey. And uh, Ian, you and I probably don't know too much, or I-, I know for a fact we don't know too much about those two teams. But Andrew Zolden, our guest later in the show, uh, he does know about those two teams. He's the co-host of Inside the Basketball Tournament. We'll talk to him in about a half hour here on Fizz Radio. But let's get into Bayam's Army, and I just want to start with this. Obviously, this is a bubble environment. There's not going to be any fans And I just think that deserves a toast because I covered this event last year. I covered the Syracuse regional and I got to tell you, it was thrilling. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. The community showed out like crazy at OCC Onondaga Community College. I mean, there was not a single empty seat. It felt like a carrier dome light, I'll say. (laughs) <laughs> and I'll, I'll be missing that. You know, I'm, I'm excited to watch TBT, but I'm I'm really going to be missing, you know, the, the environment, just thinking back to how amazing it was last year.
2: And it's certainly going to be interesting to see how these players react playing without fans. Uh, we've seen it overseas with soccer. Some teams are choosing and some leagues are choosing to pump in artificial crowd noise, um, but I'm not sure if they're going to be doing that for TBT. So playing in an empty arena might almost be like uh, just practice to these players. You know, let's just hop in the gym, play another day of basketball, but it could also take away that big game environment and maybe some of these guys relax a little bit instead of playing up to that big time pressure.
1: I don't think basketball is too bad without a crowd. I think it'll be fine. I think we get that kind of environment in summer league and it's nice to hear the natural sounds. Plus, basketball is a sport where you can actually pump in audio while the play is in action, you know, you have uh, music playing half the time when the ball is in play. So I think if you can incorporate that maybe on a even more regular basis than it would be traditionally, I don't think basketball takes too much of a hit. But I'm trying to think, Ian, is this the first event that is this the biggest event that ESPN has had since the pandemic?
2: Well, Uh, UFC, UFC. UFC, are we counting the last dance as really an event? I'm sure that's the biggest, that's probably the biggest viewership that ESPN has gotten since quarantine started. But yeah, this will certainly be huge for ESPN because they only have a responsibility for what half of the upcoming NBA season when the NBA restarts on July 30th. And who knows what's going to happen with Major League Baseball? Not all the kinks are ironed out there yet. So this is going to be a great way for ESPN to get the broadcasters back in the loop of things, get the production teams back in the loop of things, get everything back to up and running like it was before quarantine, and also a great way for Syracuse fans to watch some good basketball and support some former players.
1: Every game this year is will be broadcast on ESPN. I think in years past, a lot of the games have been on Watch ESPN, ESPN 3, but now that there isn't much going on um, at the worldwide Leader, every single TBT game will be on national television. And speaking of ESPN, Seth Greenberg called our very own Bayhimes Army the most talented team in TBT. I, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not quite on board. I have my concerns, and I'll, I'll get to them in a second, but I'll let you go first.
2: It's really tough because I love the backcourt. I look at the backcourt, and my eyes light up. Divendorf, Gillen, Brandon Trish. Like, these guys are Syracuse household names. And first year for Malachi Richardson, oh, boy, I would love to see Malachi pull out the three-point goggles again and just go wild on national TV because we haven't seen him do much in the NBA, and it's great to see him out repping the orange and white once again. But the real problem is going to be in the front court, Gil, uh, losing Tyler Leiden and now Chris McCullough.
1: <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. The, the front court is a way bigger problem than the back court. Eric Dievendorf is perennially the MVP of Bayheim's army. It's absolutely unreal. 15 this-
2: points a game last year.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, we're talking about a guy who doesn't play a professional basketball, and he goes out here every summer and looks like he belongs in the NBA. And I don't know how he does it, but he somehow does it. But I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I, they, Beheim's army loses Tyler Lydon, who probably would have been a pretty good asset. They lose Chris McCullough, who was injured last season. And I mean, I just feel like whenever we talk about Chris McCullough potentially playing for Syracuse, something gets in the way of it, including when he was actually a freshman for the Orange and you, and you had that, that injury. Um, so Chris McCullough's out. And if you look at the problem with Beheim's army last year, it was, again, it, w- it was the center position. It was rebounding. When Beheim's Army lost to Brotherly Love, they gave up 17 offensive rebounds for 20 second chance points. And it was, now granted, it was a completely different front court. It was Hakeem Warwick, Arenze uh, Onwaku, and Mookie Watkins. Those were the centers. So now we're looking at different guys this year. We're looking at mostly Dante Green and Will Raymond, who's a player from Colgate. The most interesting part about this will be, the performance of this kind of revamped, but maybe not in a good way, front court.
2: Yeah, uh, both Green and Raymond are only six eight, six nine, and men of Mackey. Isaac Haas is on that team. That dude's 7'3". <laughs> I'm real worried. First of all, just who's going to get rebounds on this team? The guards are really going to have to put press the issue down low and work hard. I mean, I know Trish can do it, but focusing on the other guys a bit more to get down low and dig out those boards... And on the offensive end as well, it would have really been nice to have Leiden who can stretch the floor all the way out to the three-point line. You're listening
1: to Fizz Radio on the Square 1260, Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. The basketball tournament, TBT, starts today. Beheim's Army will play the winner of Heartfire and Men of Mackey on Tuesday. Yeah, the, the rebounds are, are a concern. And I wrote a column last year that Beheim's Army shouldn't play the 2-3 zone. Because uh, last, last season, look, the team, they scored at will. They had, you know, your Jordan Crawford, who could, who could really light it up. Uh, Andrew White w- was hitting threes. And uh, look, the, the team was scoring. That's the net-net. They just couldn't make a stop, and they couldn't rebound. And to me, in this format, and I'm a big fan of the 2-3 zone. I'm not like uh, Jaron May, who's a member of our staff, who, who does not like <laughs> the 2-3 zone, okay? I'm a fan of the 2-3 zone. But it doesn't work here, in my opinion, because you know they, they just they don 't have enough time to practice it. This is a defense that is not intuitive it 's a complex defense
2: and, and built on communication as well
1: exactly and I, I just really think their best chance I, I stand by this I really think their best chance is to not play the two three zone
2: but Going up against those tall guys, it might have to be a zone, just so there's no one-on-one post-up matchups. I, seven-three on six-eight, that's probably at least fifteen easy points for Isaac Haas. Right. So maybe it's just all going to come down to how the team wants to play it. Maybe they go a mix-and-match style. You know, play some zone, play some man every now and then. Maybe even a press. Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see how this team performs on the defensive end. Uh, I trust the guards will lock it down though. Out out on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, let's uh let's cover the bases on on Will Raymond just because he's a a Colgate guy who people might not be familiar with. I think he he could play a pretty big role. He did lead the Patriot League in rebounding last season and he's a 40% three-point shooter. Uh Colgate played Syracuse last year. The Orange handled business. It was one of the earlier games of the season. But uh Will Will Raymond can play. I like him a lot. Out of these guys, Ian, who who are you who are you most looking forward to watching? Eric Devendorf and I'm going to rattle off the whole roster. I think it's a good way to go for to it. cover go our basis here. Eric Devendorf, Brandon Trish, John Gillen, Malachi Richardson. Those are your guards. At forward, you have Demetrius Nichols, Dante Green, Chris – no, you don't have Chris McCullough – and uh, Will Raymond.
2: Well, Gil, I got to go with Malachi Richardson. Just the most explosive scorer on this list, a guy that can fill it up in all three areas – and someone that I really thought had NBA potential and just didn't really pan out. So I think he's got a bit of revenge to exact on the TBT just because his professional future didn't really pan out, I guess, like I thought it would when he was at SU. So I want to see Malachi Richardson come in firing and put up some 30-point performances.
1: I'm with you. I think we could see big things out of uh out of malachi and he figures to be dievendorf might be the number one scorer. it might be malachi so that'll be another thing to watch i'd say the two storylines when it comes to x's and o's and Beheim's army and i'm just excited to watch some basketball to be
2: quite oh, honest absolutely with you.
1: but it's how do the big men hold up and then it's you know between malachi and devo how much uh how much offense comes uh, from, from those two guys. All right, we'll have coverage at Orange Fizz on Twitter, orangefizz.net. We'll be covering Beheim's Army um, pretty thoroughly here at Orange Fizz. Uh, you're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. We'll be right back with some talk about how COVID-19 has ravaged college football. We're back on Fizz Radio here on The Score 1260. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth with you. We're doing a really cool thing on the site right now. I, I love it. Uh, this Fizz 4, Syracuse basketball, basically these four-part countdowns we're doing. Um, Ian, what's your what's your Fizz 4?
2: Well, I'm writing about rivalries, Gil. Before, when we did the top three countdown for football, I had road wins. But now I'm on to rivalries for Syracuse basketball, uh, my fourth, well, I guess, yeah, we're going four to one. My fourth came out last Friday. I actually had Virginia as Syracuse's fourth best rivalry. And I said, because of the last few games that Syracuse played such good matchups, great basketball, excluding the uh, opener from last season. We can just forget about all that, but the game in Charlottesville, what an amazing display of skill from both teams, especially buddy Bayheim bacon in that miracle shot. And I think, Syracuse and Virginia, I think the talent level's pretty even on both sides, and they're going to tenu- continue to play great games in the future. For At, at number three, I, UConn, you cannot forget about that overtime game, uh, the longest in Big East history, and yep. just crazy. I rewatched that whole game before writing the article. Um, Might have fallen asleep right after the game ended, <laughs> but I was amazed throughout the whole three-hour period. And Syracuse and UConn keep wanting to play even after the Big East Conference broke up. The two teams are still going at it. So I think that's still a rivalry that holds some weight on the Hill. And so, Gil, I know you're writing about controversies. Is that correct?
1: But yeah, I'm doing controversies. Number four was uh, wouldn't win 10 effing games without Eric Devendorf. It was such an incredible story because it kind of spotlights the fact that Jim Boeheim reads everything and sometimes he's just unsolicited in post-game press conferences he'll just refer to columns written about him and the team and and no one will even ask him so for that to get kind of the national attention we all know in the Syracuse bubble that you know that I know two years ago the D.O. wrote a column and uh, it argued that O'Shea Brissett should play center And Jim Boeheim just unsolicited after one of, you know, after a basketball game just said, that would be the worst coaching move in my 40 plus year
2: career. He just goes and brings it up. He doesn't really care.
1: Right. So for that to like be a national thing was just awesome. Uh, So that's number four. The number three was the ejection, the block charge CJ fair drives baseline. And looks like he tied the game against Duke in 2014 at Cameron Uh, But the officials saw it another way, and Jim Beheim lost his mind. And uh, that's number three.
2: We got a jacket toss out of it, and that was probably the only good part. Other than that, uh, Gil, you said off the air, probably one of the best losses in Syracuse program history, and I have to agree that was a great game all the way through, but still a shame the way it ended, and I thought it was a charge. Uh, but moving on, we've got some, you thought it was a charge. I I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was a charge. And then I watched the replay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm sticking, I'm sticking, I'm sticking with, I'm oh. sticking with my orange till the end, but it's, it's just really tough to see a close game come down. to a Well, wow, people like are that going to way. be
1: furious. People are going to be furious listening to this. Ah. I, I think it's, I think it's a block. I thought, I thought, uh, he wasn't set when CJ fair began his upward motion towards his, uh, you know, finger roll layup, but uh, okay, we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Some people might have trouble moving on, but we'll we'll move on. Uh, Bad news. We're moving on to bad news in uh, college football. I don't, I really don't think there's any other way to put this. I mean, this uh, COVID-19 has really kind of ravaged the college football world already. And that is shocking considering that the only thing these teams have Begun doing is non-contact voluntary workouts. Literally, I mean, we're not playing football. We're not scrimmaging. We don't have, you know, we don't have fifty to hundred players on the field. We're literally just doing non-vol, no-contact voluntary workouts. And there's been over a hundred positive tests across college football. Well over a hundred. Forty-seven Clemson players have tested positive. They've been probably hit the hardest, but. You look at LSU, they've had at least 30. I mean, more Clemson football players have tested positive for COVID-19 than the entire English Premier League. This is damning.
2: And it's a shame that it's just not going smoothly at all. I mean, with the way that COVID-19 has been going throughout the U.S. in the past week or so, it's, it, the, it, is this the second wave? We don't really know, but it kind of seems like it. Every state that wasn't impacted at first seems to be getting hit hard now. But it's a shame that college football can't stay out of the way. Kansas State shutting down its football program just because players went to a party and contracted coronavirus. It sucks because there's no good way to avoid the virus. And even though these college players are in environments that should be very safe, where they're around plenty of medical staff, um, they're by themselves, not no other students on campus. They have nutritionists, doctors, everything that is there for an athlete, they have but i mean if you're going to go to a party you're putting yourself and your whole team at risk it's you got to look past yourself at this point
1: yeah but i think it's a it's a preview of the challenges that are coming our way come late august september when you know regular college gets underway and Again, everyone in these programs will tell you it's not what's going on in the workout room, in the weight room, on the field that they're worried about. It's what it's what is happening uh, outside of these settings in social environments, and that is really, really hard to police. Dare I say, impossible to
2: police? I mean, these are college kids. College kids go out and party and have fun, but at the same time, it just comes a point where you. You got to realize, even if you're not a football player, you got to protect yourself and try to stay as safe as you possibly can. Um, but I mean, Gil, right. in terms of coronavirus, our season's going to get pushed back because Rick Patino seems to think so. He tweeted out that the NCAA should push back a con- a basketball until January and only play conference games. Uh, give the medical experts more time for a vaccine and hopefully the country can get things under control. You agree with Rick Pitino? Ian, it's certainly looking that way. College basketball
1: is a far way out, so I don't know if there's much use in speculating about college basketball at this point, but my takeaway from how college football has started and the fact that there have been so many positive cases um, in college football already, which is, by the way, just kind of a microcosm of the rest of the country. It's It's been a really tough couple weeks here. Uh, Yeah, but it seems like college football is going to have a lot of trouble starting on time, especially because football is a sport where you really can't go out there and wing it. Like, you need a solid base when it comes to getting players ready physically so they don't get injured, and also just, this is a complicated sport. If if you don't get enough practice in, the game is going to look silly.
2: It's going to look silly, and also Syracuse has to install... Completely new offense. Completely new defense. The 3-3-5 coming in from Tony White and Sterling Gilbert taking the reins on the offensive side. How is that going to work? Can Tommy DeVito get everything down with his receivers? No more Tristan Jackson at the wideout spot. Uh, No more Mo Neal. There's just so many questions regarding Syracuse. Combine that with the questions surrounding college football. Uh, First couple games might be slow if they happen at all.
1: Yeah. I, you got to practice. You got to get that in. And th- this is, this is just a disastrous start. It's uh, it's not what we were, what we were hoping for. And uh, we do hope that things get better from the, from the fan side, you know, there's been, there's been some talk of maybe students only in the dome. And then Ian, you were telling me that there are NFL owners discussing perhaps uh, making fans sign a waiver to go to NFL games
2: Yeah, Daniel Kaplan reported that the NFL wants fans in stadiums come September, but they might have to sign a COVID-19 waiver, I guess acknowledging that they're risking contracting the virus by entering the stadium. And then Nicole Auerbach responded saying that college ADs are having those same conversations um, about having fans in the stands, maybe signing the waivers. So Gil, if there are fans in the stands, hey, let's make it all students, hopefully get some sort of environment going, but it's going to be tough. Nevertheless, imagine trying to buy a ticket online if you're a, if you're a student, um, trying yeah. to social distance with your friends. It, it's once again, college students are college students, and it's going to be really, really difficult to enforce those guidelines and help prevent the spread of the coronavirus.
1: Well, I just think it's a tough look to invite um, outside community members nothing against everyone, but uh, to to invite them onto campus, just I, I don't know if that is a good look, uh, depending on how bad the situation is. And, you know, who, who knows? Again, maybe, maybe things begin to get better, even though that's just not where we're trending right now, to be quite frank. But at least if you say, okay, only students can enter the dome, well, now you have a, a group, a population that's already occupying the space right you're not you're not allowing people to come in onto campus um, and potentially uh, risking students that way so it makes sense to me
2: and at the same time if they do want to let outside personnel in uh, they could conduct temperature checks that's a super easy thing to do maybe require a you have to self-quarantine for a day before entering the stadium maybe no leaving leaving your leaving the state before entering the game there, there are a couple ways that if Syracuse or any college athletic facility chooses to let outside fans in, then maybe they can screen them and try to conduct it as safely as possible. The,
1: the temperature check checks are weird, man, I, man, I was down in uh, Dallas uh, to tour the new, I, I want, well, I wasn't, this, is, this isn't the reason I was in Dallas, but I was touring the new Texas Rangers ballpark, which was getting roasted on Twitter. Um, and, They put the thermometer on my forehead and for a second, I just didn't know what was going on. It was kind of jarring for a second. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? And then I just realized like, oh, you're taking my temperature. So uh, things are going to be weird. And maybe that'll include a a waiver. Maybe as part of your StubHub checkout, it'll be like, do you agree to our terms of service? Do you agree that you might get COVID? So anyway, wild times. Uh, Dior Johnson, he was in the news this week because he's strongly considering reclassifying to the class of 2021. This is big news. This is good news because it's kind of a race against the clock. If you're Syracuse, you don't want Adam Silver to remove the one and done rule in 2022. And then Dior let's, you know, for example, could say, Oh, really? No more one and done rule. Okay. I'm going to go to the league. If he reclassifies to 2021, that, that would be great news.
2: And even before Adam Silver changes that rule, Less time for the G League uh, development program to make Dior Johnson a very attractive offer, which I'm sure he will get being one of the top 10, 15 players in the country. I'm sure Dior also likes what he sees in Benny Williams, uh, Syracuse's latest basketball commit. He's been trying to work on those 2022 prospects, mainly Zion Cruz and Chance Westry. He'll be playing with Cruz at Oak Hill next year. But if he's not having any success and he wants to dive into the college lifestyle year early, keep in mind, folks, this guy's been playing high school basketball already for four years. So he's a senior on the hardwood. If he wants to dive into the college lifestyle and get his game ready for the NBA a bit earlier, it makes sense to reclassify.
1: Unbelievable. He would be 17 years old as a freshman playing for Syracuse. But it makes sense if you put yourself in Dior's shoes, you know, you he'd feel a lot better about going to college a year early because maybe he wouldn't feel like, Oh, I'm wasting another year, not making money. Right. It's that bonus year. Oh, well, I would be a senior in high school anyway. So, you know, why not play college ball instead? Uh, I just think that, again, I think Benny Williams, that's a good point, but I think this makes a lot of sense for Dior. And I think it's also welcome news for Syracuse because you, you combat potentially Adam Silver getting in the way of things. You agree?
2: Absolutely. Uh, every once in a while, I'll get a text from one of my buddies saying it is, it, well, actually right now it's July, 3rd, uh, July 4th and Dior Johnson's still committed to Syracuse. It's a surprise <laughs> for everybody. It seems like it might just be a ticking time bomb waiting in the wings for Dior to go somewhere else, make a different decision. So we're keeping our fingers crossed at this point that Dior Johnson still wants to come play. And I completely agree with you, Gil, 100%. This is a great sign for Syracuse fans. Hopefully Dior comes to the dome.
1: Fingers crossed for that. All right. Next segment we'll have we'll talk to Andrew Zolden, co-host of Inside TBT, the great podcast on the basketball tournament. More Beheim's Army Talk coming up after the break. We're back on Fizz Radio here on the score 1260, and we welcome in Andrew Zolden co-host of Inside TBT, a podcast, of course, on the basketball tournament. Andrew, thanks for coming
0: on. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I love talking TBT. Excited to uh, dive a little bit into Bayheim's Army and all things TBT.
1: Well, I look forward to this tournament every single year. But, uh, of course, it's got a different feel this summer. We're in a bubble there, you know, obviously with the, the pandemic looming large, so, uh, what what's your summary, your spark notes of the safety measures that will be in place for uh, this year's tournament?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, for starters, they have all those backup teams there, which is great. So they're planning that, and we've seen it happen a couple times so far. That if a team can't go for whatever reason, they've got a backup team that's there and quarantined, ready to replace it. And I think they really are taking all the steps necessary. And they're not gonna—they're not gonna do anything that puts anyone, whether it's players, staff, coaches, anything, at risk. And they're doing a great job. They're testing multiple, multiple, multiple times. People have to quarantine their rooms for 24 hours after their first initial test. And they're bringing teams in five-ish days prior to their actual first game. So they're minimizing the amount of people that are actually all gonna be there at the same time. Like they don't have. A, they don't have all 24 teams there right now. They have the teams who are within five days of their next game. And then as those new teams come, when teams lose Saturday, the teams who lost will lose, and the teams who have games will come in.
2: Andrew, you gave us a bit of uh, – you mentioned the testing process. Uh, I saw Beheim's Army pass their first round of testing. Can you give us a bit more insight on what the COVID-19 testing process looks like for TBT?
0: Yeah, you know, I I really wish I could. And it's not a matter of like being able to or not being able to. I just really don't know. I know that there were tests beforehand and there's constant testing going on when they're there. But, I mean, what we've been doing is we've been interviewing a lot of guys that are sitting in their room for that first 24-hour period. So I know that that they are taking a test when they get there and then sitting in their room for 24 hours until they get the results back on that first test. So in terms of like the actual process, I wish I could give you guys more information, but I don't think they're keeping it a secret. I think it's just like not really a huge deal or issue. They're just taking care of what they have to do, of following the guidelines and making sure that everybody's safe.
1: We're talking to Andrew Zolden, co-host of Inside TBT podcast on the basketball tournament. And uh, you could also find that on YouTube. Andrew, I'm, I'm curious about player participation. Chris McCullough is out for Bayheim's Army, which uh, we'll get to in a moment. Uh, has player participation been up, down, kind of in the middle? What's that been like?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's weird because there's players who, for whatever reason, testing positive stuff like that, are not able to play. There's players who are pulling out because of safety. But then you also see like teams like Overseas Elite and even Bayheim's Army that are adding – more guys than ever so it's really it's really just a mixture of what's happening you know there's teams that are losing players because they're worried or testing positive like i was just saying but joe johnson's playing for overseas elite this summer and if there was a big three like there was last year he's probably not playing so there's there's additions but there's also subtractions and it sucks that it went down this way, but because the 64 teams got reduced to 24, there's guys like Fletcher McGee, who was going to be on the Florida TNT team, that now is on War Tampa, and that team's even better. So the teams are all really, really good, and it's, it's not because it was like watered down when it was 64. It's These 24 teams are not only 24 great teams, but they're, they're, they've added players from teams that were, that were kicked off. Or not kicked off, but couldn't play for whatever reason. House of Pain added Mike Dom. He was supposed to be on another team. He's not an Illinois alumni, but they've added him because he wants to play in the tournament and they had a spot for him. So in terms of of player personnel and players playing, kind of what I was saying, like there are there's more guys joining, but there's also more guys leaving. And I think because of it, TBT 2021. We could see a lot more of the Joe Johnson, Jordan Crawford, Malachi Richardson type players on all the teams throughout the tournament. So it could be a blessing in disguise in terms of player personnel moving forward.
2: You mentioned Malachi Richardson, one of the players I'm most excited to see on a basketball court this summer. And along with Eric Devendorf, Brandon Trish, and John Gillen, I think that's one of the best backcourts in the tournament. Where do they stand in your ranking
0: if you had to put one together? Yeah. So, what we always kind of talk about is Bayheim's army is kind of due for a championship, you know, overseas elite won it four times. Karma's crew has been in it forever. And they finally, they finally got over the hump. They finally won the championship. You know, every year people are kind of like, I think this is the year for Karma's crew. And we were always saying that, that Bayheim's army, this could be the year that they get over the hump. My co-host Joey and I say that, but, I just think the team or the the tournament is too good to say that one specific team outside of overseas elite has a clear cut easy or, or better path to the championship. And with, with uh, Tyler Lydon, not playing it, it changes things for Bayheim's army, obviously, but I think the players that they do have there are really, really good. I think Malachi Richardson, if he's, if he's into it and he wants to play, he could be one of the best players, if not the best player in the tournament. I'm so excited to watch him play, but I just I don't know if their team stands out in the final 24 as much as it would stand out if they were starting at 64 in their own regional, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. like If they were in a regional, they'd definitely be the best team in the regional. But I don't know if I can say that they're the best team in their little lower quadrant of the bracket because of all the talent that it's really starting. Essentially, Beheim's army is starting in the Sweet 16. And when you get to the Sweet 16 of a tournament, there's 16 great teams.
1: Well, Andrew, you, you touched on it talking to Andrew Zolden, uh, host of Inside TBT. Beheim's army has not really lived up to expectations on a year-by-year basis. And the expectations, granted, have been high. Uh, sky high. I think that the fan base in Syracuse has expected, you know, titles, to be honest with you, and it hasn't happened. What do you think the issue has been?
0: It's tough. It's tough to pinpoint one issue in a tournament that's, that's most comparable to March Madness. And I just think that if you run into a team, that's got a guy that's hot. It's just like March Madness when a Kemba Walker is rolling through a tournament, you know, they've got uh they've got the winner of Men of Mackey and bayheims or Men of Mackey and Heartfire in the first round, and it sucks that they have a bye because they could be sitting waiting for their game, and one of the guys in, on Heartfire or Men of Mackey could show up and have 30 points in the first game and continue that hot streak in the next game, so I think the problem is just it's a, it's a tournament and upsets happen in a tournament. And also, the seeds aren't 100% based on talent because there's or aren't 100% based on anything really because there's no regular season or anything like that to base it on. So I, I think they got a tough draw this year. I think Team Hines is is really really good in the bottom half of their bracket, and I think Challenge ALS is really good too. And it looks like they could match up with either the Money Team or Overseas Elite in the Final Four, and then they'd have to win that Final Four game and then beat maybe Carmen's Crew in the championship. So when you look at all the teams that they would have to beat, I think that's your answer right there and why they've struggled is you just have to go through a lot of good teams in TBT
2: and uh, Tyler Leiden out Chris McCullen out, and Andrew Men of Mackey has Isaac Haas, the seven foot three former Purdue center. Uh, could you see uh, Beheim's army
0: struggling down low with the loss of two of their best front court players I mean it's definitely not going to help but in TBT, it's, it's mainly been about guard play. If you have good guards, you can, you can get the job done, assuming you have serviceable big men as well. So I think if, if the other big, if the bigger guys on Beheim's army can kind of step up and, and exceed what they're expected to do, and then the guards on beheim's army can meet expectations, then I think there shouldn't be any struggles if, men of Mackie win, but if men of Mackie win, you got Isaac Haas. If Hardfire wins, you got Isaiah Austin. So you're running into big guys left and right. But I think guard play is really, really important. And Seth Greenberg said this when we were on his show the other day about Beheim's Army, that they have really good guards and really good guard play. And that's what's guard play and veteran experience and older teams is what you need in TBT. And Beheim's Army has all of that. So, it really is the year. If they're going to do it, I feel like it's this year. But if they don't do it and they lose their first game, no one's going to be surprised. Another,
1: another thing that's always fun about this tournament, and the Syracuse Regional was so great last year, the, the community was so engaged, and I think that'll be sorely missed. But Elamending, it's, uh, it's a really refreshing change of pace. And Andrew, I, I imagine as a big TBT guy, you're probably all in on it.
0: So I, I am all in in the ELAM ending. And I don't think it should be in, adapted into the NBA, adopted, adapted, both words work. I don't <laughs> think it should be adapted or adopted into the NBA for a regular game in regulation. But the NBL is adopting it for overtime starting next year. And I think that's where it really could be beneficial, not just for, for viewing, for a viewing standpoint, it's cool to see a game end like that. But if you have a back-to-back in the NBA, you don't want a game going into double or triple overtime. You don't even really want a game going into overtime at all. So if you stick an Elam ending on it, you know when the game is ending. You know, it, it would improve the quality of play. And to bring Syracuse into this, there's not going to be any 17 overtime games or whatever that one game was. And I know that was cool in the moment, but the players will tell you that, that was not a lot of fun that night and the next day. So for player safety, I think the Elam ending helps with longevity of games, but I really do think it's cool. And it makes like off-brand basketball tournaments really, really cool. Like I think it would be cool if, if in college basketball, like the, the Jimmy V Invitational or the, or the Maui Invitational or, or any of those tournaments had something like the Elam ending that just make it, make it more exciting and make it a little different.
2: And uh, new rotations, of course, only eight or nine guys really playing in a 32-minute game. Also, ESPN set to broadcast every single game of TBT. Uh, do you have any insight on what the broadcasting process may look like?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going uh, to be remote. And I think they're going to be together. I'm not 100% sure. I would love to be a part of the broadcast. We're hoping that – so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be grabbing players after the game and doing, like, a quick three- or four-minute interview in post-game and then getting those interviews up really quick online. I mean, we're hoping those kind of take off and maybe we can get some live ESPN action out of it. But in terms of the broadcast, I think they will not be there because they're not bringing people in and out.
1: Check out Inside TBT. It's a tremendous podcast, YouTube show on the basketball tournament, and Bayheim's Army will play next Tuesday or this coming Tuesday on ESPN. Andrew, thanks for taking the time with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys.
1: Fizz Feedback is next. It's Fizz Radio. Don't go anywhere. We're taking you home on Fizz Radio. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us, as always. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth with you. For one last segment, everyone's favorite, it's Fizz Feedback. Ian, I have not looked at the results of this week's Fizz Feedback polls, so you can surprise me. I'll try to guess the results. Let's go.
2: All right, so first Fizz Feedback question. Rate your confidence on a 1 to 10 scale in the following statement. Bayheim's Army goes home with a million dollars. You can pick from one, uh, one to three, four to six, or seven to 10. Gil, where do you think the majority of Orange Nation is?
1: Hmm. You know, Orange Nation has gotten their heart broken a lot by this Bayheim's Army squad, but I do think that they recognize the talent, a bit of a push and pull there. So I'm going to take the middle. I think most people have it between a four and a six.
2: And you were spot on. 52% of people said they were within a four to six on the confidence meter. And I have to agree with them. I love the backcourt. I love Devendorf and uh, Malachi Richardson, but not having Leiden and now Chris McCullough, mm-hmm. I, I just can't put my full heart into it. Uh, second one, did the pandemic boost interest in the basketball tournament this year? Well, did the pandemic boost your personal interest? I always watch, I still won't watch, or I'll check it out for the first time.
1: You know, maybe I'm biased because, again, I I covered the event last year at uh, the Onondaga Community Center. But I, I I think that most of the people who follow us on Twitter are, you know, pretty fair to say, pretty diehard Syracuse fans. I actually think that most people will say that they always watch.
2: Gil, you are batting a hundred percent on the day. Eighty <laughs> percent of Fiz Nation is tuned into TBT year after year. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not one of those people. Last year, I checked out a couple games, including Devo dropping 20 on the Gales. But I just saw a couple games in passing. I was pretty busy last summer, but now I'm excited to tune in because this is the first basketball we're getting since what? February, March? So I'm ready for some real-time basketball action, and let's go Bayhams Army. I'm all in.
1: I, I'm interested to get your thoughts to to see what you think um, on the first question, by the way, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm kind of concerned about, about the big men. Uh, I'm curious though, what are the other two results? Uh, do more people uh, are more people just still not going to watch or are some people going to tune in for the first time
2: like yourself? Uh, well, 16% of people are tuning in for the first time. And for the 4.4% that aren't going to watch, well, maybe they've got some other sporting events to t- <laughs> tune into that we haven't figured out in terms of the first question. It was actually an even split 23.7% of people were all in on Beheim's army taking home, the million dollar prize and 23.7% yeah. of people did not think Bayheim's army was going to make it out of the sweet 16. So who knows could go either way.
1: Look, I, I love it. I think, I think it's great, but I, I will miss the uh, community aspect of it again Bayheim's Army plays on Tuesday, the winner of Heartfire versus Men of Mackey. The overall tournament starts today. Um, and that'll do it for us here on Fizz Radio from Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. Thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your weekend, everyone.